0: So, Bill and Steve were discussing the possibility of love, and, uh, I thought I was in love three times, Bill says, thought, Steve asks, what do you mean? Well, three years ago, I cared very deeply for a woman who wanted nothing to do with me, Bill says, wasn't that love? Steve asks, no, that was obsession, Bill explains, then two years ago, I cared very deeply for an attractive woman who didn't understand me. Wasn't that love? Asked Steve. No, no, that was lust, Bill replies. And just last year, I met a woman while I was on a cruise. She was gorgeous, intelligent, a great conversationalist, and had a super sense of humor. Everywhere I followed her, and that on that ship, I. I would get a very strange sensation in the pit of my stomach. Well, wasn't that love? Asked Steve. No. No, that was motion sickness. <laughs> you know, it's very clear that, that this world has a very difficult time not only understanding love, but, but knowing what it means, why it's important, where it comes from, and what to do with it. Science can do a lot of things. Science has propelled us to the moon, and back. Science has allowed us to see to the far reaches of our universe. Science has has helped us cure so many different diseases. But the one thing that science is unable to do is to define love. Isn't that strange? Science cannot define love. Love is a very interesting phenomenon. It leads us to find a person and devote our lives to that person have you ever thought about what actually happens at a wedding ceremony have you ever thought about that guys when when you say yes to her in essence you're saying no to everyone else when you say yes to her you're saying no to everyone else the greatest compliment known to humanity is when you can give the person to choice to leave the marriage altar, and instead they say, I do. It is through this very institution that God chooses to describe his relationship with the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, 25 to 27, says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water um, with the word. And he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. One of the coolest things about being a pastor is that um, you get to officiate weddings, and The interesting about that, that no one really tells you, is that you get one of the coolest seats in the house. You get to see the bride, like everyone else, but different. Because you're seeing the bride as the groom sees the bride, okay? You get to see her come down, because you're standing literally right next to the groom. And you're seeing the bride come down in all of her glory. Yesterday, I, I, I videotaped the wedding here. The week before that, I officiated the wedding, and so it is... Awesome. So you're seeing both of them in the same frame. Everyone else, in order to see both, they're breaking their necks. Because you got to see the guy cry, right? The guy's trying to hold it in. Because he knows everyone's like, cry, come on. No, <laughs> okay. <You know? laughs> and so everyone else is breaking their neck because it's such a beautiful moment that, that, you, can, that you can see, see that. Um all in the name of love free love is a black and white contradiction in two words gk chesterton had said love was never intended to be free love is hard work anyone who is married will tell you that i have been married for 16 years and and i i think of a few times when marie and i hit some low spots in our marriage but because we matured and worked through them in God's grace, our relationship actually strengthened as a result of those times instead of weakened. Love love is the supreme ethic. It is the supreme ethic. In order to make it work, you require free will. I cannot force Siri to love me. I can force her to say it, but the problem is, first of all, she lacks the capacity to even love because she's my phone. And second of all, you can't force anyone or anything to love you. You can hold a gun to a person's head and make them say that they love you. You can make them say it. I mean, you'll, you'll go to jail, but you will never actually get love out of that. Free will is a prerequisite of love. Choice is an absolute necessity to make that happen. It is the very foundation on which love is is built. And it's no accident. This is all by design. In the book of Genesis, you have this beautiful picture of Adam and Eve in the garden. We have this image of this beautiful reciprocal relationship between them and God, their creator. But love comes at a choice, and man chose sin. Love, however, did not die in the garden. Because love, God's love for humanity. Showing us that love can prevail. Healing can endure. Restoration can build. And reconciliation begins to happen the consequences of broken trust still work to steal kill and destroy the scars of that choice are still there Adam and Eve were banished from the garden the world was still flooded God's people still became slaves in Egypt Um, God's people were exiled from the promised land and today we still experience pain, suffering, division, injustice, and illness. But you cannot have love without, the, without free will. You cannot have love without the free will to deny it and the consequences of that choice. To take away the choice that brings pain would be to deny love its very ability to exist. That's a a lot to think of, I know. It's a very interesting point. But you cannot have one without the other. God's love endures the consequences of sin and the choices that humanity has made. That means that every relationship has the hope to be mended. And that, that church, that is very good news. Every relationship has the hope to be mended. The Garden of Eden shows us this on full display. God made another way, leaving room still for a relationship with him. That was an act of grace. That is unmerited favor. Motivated by the very love that caused God to send his one and only son to undo the choice uh, Sorry, not to undo the choice, but to undo the consequences of sin, restoring us once and for all. The choice to follow is yours to make. And that's what I often tell the junior youth is like up to this point maybe uh, you've been listening to your parents and you come to church because of your parents, but at some point you have to make that choice to follow. No one can make that choice for you. It is yours to make. God loves you so much that he will honor that choice. Whatever it is, if you so choose to say, I want to live without God in my life for all of eternity, God loves you so much he gives you that choice. He doesn't force you. He could. He could have created robots. But he knows and he knew that that love requires that choice. So there's that risk involved. And if you so choose to say, I want God in every facet of my life, I love God. I recognize what He did for me on the cross and that I don't deserve it. And, and as a result, I need God in my life and I need to tell other people about it. And God's like, I love you so much. I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to fill every facet of your life so that you can show people the reality of my love. One of the problems with society is that we don't even know what love is. See, I, I can say, I love drums. I love pad thai, I love my family, I love watching movies. Those are all the same word. So you can see how easy it is for us to un- misunderstand what love is. In the Greek, there's four words for love. We're going to jump through them and, uh, to, to better understand it. The first one I want to talk about is, is the Greek word storge. This is parental love. It is a protecting love. Young people, what is your relationship with your parents? Where are you at with them? The Bible says for us to honor your parents. This is something anyone can feel. It is uh, affectionate and it's powerful. What does storge look like in your life? What is that relationship like? Is it broken? Is it... So maybe disconnected. Parents, what is your relationship with your, your children? You know, the saddest thing that you can see nowadays is to go to a playground and see the kids playing and the parents sitting on the bench fixated on their device. Completely disconnected with the world of their family. I'm speaking to myself with this too. I'm actually finishing up a, a, an Instagram fast uh, so, because I recognized that, that I started liking certain parts of social media a little bit too much. I needed to delete that off of my phone for a while until I figure out that stuff. Seems to be a growing issue these days. Parents, remember to stay present in the lives of your children. Your time with them is absolutely priceless. And it will be, one day be remembered by them as love offerings from you. I remember um, I remember my, my dad, all the time he spent uh, throwing the ball around with me. Maybe he forgot about it. I didn't. And my mom, all the time that she spent encouraging me in my art. And to this day, I sometimes go for coffee with my dad. I love my father. I can say that I love my father. And I can even hug him. <laughs> and, uh, and my mom, of course, you have to be able to hug your mom. And my mom and I have had tons of a son and and, and mother dates and uh, gets to eat a lot of breakfast with her because she knows that the best way to connect with me is through food. The next one, philea. This is a friendship bond, which is brotherly love. It's the word Peter used when Jesus asked him if he loved him. He said, of course I philea you. But Jesus was actually looking for a different word. He wasn't looking for philea. The bishop of Hippo who uh, lived from 350 A.D. to 430 A.D., he said this, Under- Understood. Uh, sorry, he understood this form of love to describe a love of equals who are united in a common purpose, pursuit, good, or end. This love is known for its comfort, its ease, and mutual respect. This version of love has broken the hearts of many a teenage boy because they often misinterpret the, the kindness of a girl as being flirtatious. They're just being philea. And he's already making wedding plans. They confuse philea with another form of love, which is our next one. Eros. Eros love. Eros is romantic love. It's actually the word that we get um, where uh, erotic comes from. The world has worked over time and has worked super hard to take this word and dirty it up as much as they can. But the problem is, it's beautifully designed by God. The world teaches us that the body is dirty. Plato, the, the, the famous philosopher, he said that the body is sinful. But the body, the Bible teaches us that that our body is sacred. That it is actually the very temple of the Holy Spirit. Why would God, knowing that our body was dirty, knowingly put his own spirit inside of us? How does that work? He wouldn't do it if the body was unclean because the body is good. The body is good. Eros is the special love shared between a husband and a wife. Many people have been conditioned to view this love as something to be maybe ashamed of. But if God designed it, how can it be bad in the right context? If you want a good, healthy dose of eros, love, uh, read the book Songs of Solomon in your Bible. In it, you have this beautiful narrative of, the, of this rich uh, male lover. Some people uh, attribute this to be uh, Solomon himself. And he pursues this uh, Shulamite woman who actually happens to be a black woman and is described as being the most beautiful woman in all the land. It describes this, this, this incredible, this beautiful courtship. It describes a wedding and it describes the marriage. Songs of Solomon is uh, perceived by many theologians to be <clears throat> a parable of God's love to the church. God's love affair with the human race. It's a reminder that the Bible is really a love story between God and humanity. And I love that. Of all the planets in the entire universe, why is it that he chose to pour out his love onto us? This is the planet that he chose, the one where you and I are on. Eros. Now this is a very, very powerful version of love but let me tell you something there's a more powerful version yet i've saved the best for last this version of love it's not a natural love it does not come natural it's supernatural it's called agape agape love because it is the love of god it's supernatural the only way we know this love is through god himself it is the very engine that powers grace it's the self-sacrificing love few people know and fewer people have experienced. But when you do experience this love, it, it changes you from the inside out. You can't help but be changed from the inside out once this love hits you. Those other forms of love are powerful, but they cannot transform you by the renewing of your mind, as described in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. This is the only love that. F- that fills that God-shaped hole in every single human being. See, we're all trying to fill it with all these other things in our life. Eros love, philea love, storge love. But that love will never, ever satisfy the love that agape can do. It's a game changer. I remember when my office was still in the the toddler room. Some people could go in my office right now and still think it's a toddler room. Um, that's why kids are always in my room. <laughs> what are in my office? I want to play with your toys. All right, let's go. Uh, so Richard Ham, a late pastor that was here, he had passed away. He was an, an incredible man. If you, if you ever knew him, you, you, you're lo- you were very blessed. He sat in my office one day, and he told me about the story of when he accepted Jesus. He was just a young man in Mexico many, many, many years ago. And uh, he was farming, and a missionary had blown into one of the uh, towns here, and he decided to go and check out what was going on. He sat through the service, and this missionary was talking about God's love, how you can't earn God's love, and how you can know for sure that you're a Christian, and talked about how we are undeserving and how we could never achieve this on our own, so Jesus did all the heavy lifting. And because of his grace, we can now accept his his, his salvation. And he thought, that's ridiculous. That's dumb. And he left, offended. That's weird. So the next day, he's on a tractor going through a field. And all of a sudden, a light bulb goes off. And he's like, and suddenly it made sense to him. Agape love, this supernatural love. And he immediately became overwhelmed with this, with this reality. And he was like, what? I don't have to, Jesus loves, I don't deserve, whoa! And he jumped off of the tractor and he told me that he ran into the village and started telling everybody what God had just done in his life. Later on that day, he realized that he actually never turned the tractor off. And the tractor kept going. So he had to find it somewhere in another field or something like that. And I start laughing, and we're like, but that is an appropriate response. That's an appropriate response. That's the best response for agape love I have ever heard. The other three have no point of reference without this love. It's like the magnet force. It's like the magnetic force that, that pulls the, the, the needle of a compass north. Without it... The other, point have, the other parts have no point of reference. If our culture is messed up, church, it is messed up here. Because we no longer have the basis for true love in all of its facets. We don't even know how to define love anymore. I love what Billy Graham said. He said, God can enable you. I wish I could speak of the Southern God can enable, no, I won't do it justice. God can enable you to love beyond your capacity to love. Because agape love makes it possible. There's a story of a man who was on his way to, to the gallows to be hung in England many, many years ago. And a uh, pastor, a preacher, was walking next to him to tell him about the gospel, told him about God's love and about his judgment. The condemned man stopped, took took a look at this clergyman, and he said, Reverend, if I believed you, I would crawl across England on broken glass to tell people that. God's love was never meant to be contained. It was never meant to be restrained. It was never meant to be restricted in any way. In many ways, it's, it's like this cup, you know. Let's say this, one of these cups represents you and, and this cup represents God's love. You know, he fills you up. But the thing is, like love, it's choice. He doesn't, he doesn't force himself onto you. And um, many Christians stop right here. Okay, God, that's good. Thanks. That actually, emotionally, I feel really good about this. And, and so we, we often limit the presence of God and His love in our life. We only fill ourselves up to a certain point and we stop exploring, we stop experiencing and thing of all, we stop sharing. Usually because of maybe, I don't know, fear, insecurities. Maybe, maybe we're, we're, we're only filling ourselves up, we're only allowing, choosing to God fill us up this much because we, we like where we're at in life. And we're afraid that maybe God's going to change something. But for whatever reason, that's where we are at. But the problem with that is we were never meant to be half filled. God wants to fill us up Completely, because when you surrender your life, when you surrender your past, your pain, your fears, something miraculous happens. Something that happened to Pastor Richard Ham, who jumped off the tractor and ran into the village. He filled up completely right away. You experience a freedom that you didn't even know was possible in your life. You begin to witness your fears shrink down to nothing as God fills you. And the cool thing is, when he fills you, Oh, man, he doesn't just stop at you. I mean, he fills you. He makes a mess out of everything. The cool thing is, the cups around you start getting wet. The people around you at your workplaces are, are, and and what happens then, too, is they start seeing that, and they're like, they're getting filled up now, too, and they can't help it, and then those people, and then just starts to spread everywhere because that's, agape's love doesn't like cages. It doesn't like being restricted. Once it fills you, it starts filling everyone else up around you, and, no, and everyone else can't help but get wet with God's goodness. A person can't wrap their head around God's love until they have understood the love of God. So my question to you this morning is, what are you doing with that love? I remember when I was 14 years old, I uh, was going to youth at a, at a conservative church, And I got dropped off early. The doors were open. I walked in. I walked into the sanctuary. And my life changed because up on stage was a drum set. I'd never seen one before in real life. I don't know why, but it enthralled me. No one else was in there, so I decided to go up to the stage and start tapping on the skins. And I was like, oh, man, this is cool. So I start tapping stuff. Lo and behold, there was a, like a seemingly seven-foot man with blonde hair behind me. Whoa! And I'm like, I'm so sorry. Is this your drum set? And it turns out he was drumming for a, um, a regional church meeting, and they were practicing for Saturday. The church wasn't going to allow the church to play the drums on Sunday because God allows it only on Saturday, apparently. But anyways, for whatever reason... He was there to practice. He drove down from Elmer, and I was terrified of this guy because he was so tall. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. He said, no, 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 no. And I know you, you might have some uh, natural rhythm. He took a pair of sticks. I'll never forget it. He put them in my hand. I'm like, oh. And he sat down. He said, I'm going to show you 4-4 timing. It's a very basic timing, but pay attention to what I'm doing with my feet and my hands. And I was enthralled with everything he was doing. <laughs> this is the coolest thing ever. And then all of a sudden, he put the sticks in my hand. He says, I want you to go home tonight, practice that, come back tomorrow, and show me what you learned. And I've never stopped drumming ever since that period. And I, you know, sometimes I take a look at that, that image, that, that, the image between me and, and this guy, and I'm like, that is exactly what God is doing with us. God is... You know, we may look at his life and be like, oh man, I'm not even, (laughs) I shouldn't even be touching this love. I don't deserve this love. Man, do you know what I did with my, do you know my thought life? Do you know my search history? Oh my goodness. And God's putting the instruments of his love in our hand. And he's like, hey, look what I'm doing. Come back tomorrow. Let's do this together. And he's beckoning us to make the most beautiful music out of our lives as a result of that. For all of us, if anything else, agape love is a call to reevaluate where we are at with God. Try to determine this morning how full is your cup. Maybe you are overflowing and you're here. Man, I can't stop what God has been doing in my life. Praise God. Maybe you're here and this cup is empty. You're like, man, my cup has got one drop in it and I need something. I need something to fill me up. Who's going to fill me up? Because I tried all those other things. I tried Eros. I've tried Philea. I've, I've tried all those other things. I want agape. I want to say something to you this morning. If you ever doubt Christ's love, if you've ever gotten to that point where you're like, man, I don't even I don't know about Christ's love, I want you to think of one thing. I want you to remember the cross. Everything comes back to the cross. I want you to visualize Jesus hanging up on those, those bloody pieces of wood and him looking down at you and at me and he says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you. Who in the world is more unlovable In spite of our rebellion, our hate, man, our ability to literally politicize everything in life, he says, I love you all. I choose you. Maybe you're listening to these words this morning and you're realizing that, man, I've never even given my life to Jesus. I want some of that. I want Jesus in my heart fully. Well, this morning, I want to give the opportunity to make that happen for you. And if you're kind of weirded out by that, you don't have to participate. You can just sit there or or watch this and and look pretty. But if you're listening to this message, and your heart is just kind of swelling up, not just your emotions, but a, a calculated decision to follow and choose Jesus... I want to give you that time right now. Whether you're at home watching or sitting in the sanctuary, I want you all to just bear with me. Close your eyes right now and look down. Okay? I'm not going to make you do any... I'm not going to perform any theatrical altar call right now, but what I want to do this morning, I want you... No, no one's looking. Your eyes are closed. They're down. I want you to, if you would like to receive the love of Jesus Christ... I want you to raise your hand this morning. Okay. You can lower your hand. Wow. Keep your eyes closed. If you raised your hand, I'm going to pray. I just, uh, I ask that you would make this prayer Your own. Pray with me. God, I recognize that, that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, I believe in my heart that by you dying on the cross, you took all of my sin upon you. And they all died with your body on that cross. I ask that you forgive me of my sin. And so, Father, I'm asking that you would come into my life today. That I could share in this transformative love, your love, agape love, and live for you for as long as I'm on this planet. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You may read, open your eyes, look up. Church. There were several people this morning who accepted Jesus in this room. Won't you take that in? That's right. Now, as a church, we don't just want to point to Jesus and hope that you get there okay. We've become dedicated to walking alongside you, no matter where you're going. So, I just want to ask you that that if you raised your hand this morning, you know who you are to come talk to one of us or, or at least email us, info at diron.church, so that we as a staff can pray for you, and connect with you, and walk alongside you. And to, uh, to be with you, whether you have questions or you need encouragement or prayer, we want to be with you. We were never meant to do this alone. So I want to leave that with you. I don't, know how to <clears throat> I don't know how to close this sermon. But I do want to maybe close with a piece of scripture that I think is pretty powerful. Maybe some of you are in here like, uh, I did accept Jesus at one point, now I feel pretty distant. Well, then I want to encourage you with something. God's love is so big that you can always take off where you left off. Okay? Okay. I think of the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a story of a son who's taken the inheritance of God. He made the choice. He was part of the family and he squandered all of it. And he lost everything. And so once he had been completely depleted, financially and morally bankrupt, broken in desperation, he returns home to find his father waiting for him on the porch. And he's probably expecting a a good pep talk Some discipline or whatever. But pay attention to to the father's reaction. Luke chapter 15, 20 to 24. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, "Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger, the sandals." Don't. I love this because it's like you can tell he prepared the speech. Father, I have sinned. Go quick, go get a robe, put a ring on his finger, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was. Lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This morning, church, we get to celebrate. We get to celebrate not only the people who accepted Christ, but we get to celebrate the people who have accepted Christ, but have been dwindling with an empty cup. In Luke chapter 15, verse 10, it says, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This morning, there's a huge fiesta happening in heaven. I can only imagine. I was at an incredible fiesta yesterday, had some great Mexican food, and I can only imagine what's happening this morning because of God's love. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good in more ways than we could ever imagine. There is no word in the English language that can describe the power of your love. And yet here we sit trying to wrap our brains around this incredible agape love. Thank you so much that love is not just a two-dimensional concept, but it's a three-dimensional reality. It's not just uh, parental love. It's not just romantic love. It's not just the love of a brother. But, God, there's a love of God that you have poured out into this world. And sometimes it gets messy. But, God, this morning I want to pray for those people who accepted you into their heart, Lord. I pray that you would give them the courage to reach out to to someone on staff or to email us, someone connect with our church so that we're able to walk alongside them and celebrate the reality of Christ in their lives. God, this morning as we leave here, may you give us an extra measure of energy, whether we feel beaten down by the news, whether we feel beaten down by our circumstances, but God, we have you and that is all that matters because of what you have done in our heart. I love that verse in, in Psalms. It says, what can flesh do to me. God, you are an awesome and loving God, and so we just pray that for your continual draw on us, no matter where we are at, make us more like you, so that we can show this love, what the love of God is truly like. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you all.